Good morning. Are y'all blessed this morning? Yeah? Who's not blessed? Who didn't say yes? Raise your hand so we can pray for you. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 4. Who brought your Bible with you this morning? Who brought it on your phone? If you have it on your phone, are you using it the other six days of the week? I hope so. Let's pray one more time. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what's on your heart today. And I pray that you would prepare the hearts and the minds of everyone who hears this morning and at some point in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. You have to love me. We'll start with that. Oh, I know. I'm just preparing their, their hearts. Brother C, lock the doors. Before we get in, let me lay some groundwork. I've been spending a lot of time in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. A lot of my messages recently have been going back and forth, looking at what's going on in the Old Testament, bringing light to what's going on in the New Testament. And one of the things that's been interesting to me, I've been reading through uh, Amos and Obadiah, some of the, the minor prophets that are in the, uh, the Old Testament. Who, who's read through the book of Obadiah recently? Anybody? You want to you just take like three minutes? We could do it right now. Because it's one chapter. Obadiah is one chapter. And, you know, it's kind of like Jude. When, when there's something that is included in the canon of our Holy Bible that is one chapter, it makes me stop. You know what I mean? I don't know about you. I'm going to tell on myself. But there's times when I'm reading through certain aspects of the Bible and I'm struggling to understand why this would be necessary to include. Now, sometimes I know what, why it's necessary, like reading through the genealogies of Jesus. I understand why they put it there. I understand the groundwork that they were laying, but I'm like, I've read it. I understand it. I can move on, right? Like, okay, let me read them again. There's purpose in all of it. So I read through Obadiah, it really got me thinking, pastors, like, what's going on here? And just a, a quick synopsis, what's happening is that a neighbor uh, of Israel, Edom, which comes from Esau, has been kind of a vassal state, and they've been ruled from Jerusalem, but there's been animosity there going all the way back to Esau and his brother Jacob, right? There's still animosity that's taking place. And now it's not called Jacob and Esau, but it's called Israel and Edom. That's where we get the Edomites. And these Edomites, they are high up on a hill, and they think highly of themselves, and they kind of look down on Jerusalem, even as Jerusalem rules them from afar. Any of this sound familiar yet? And so um, when Babylon comes, and Nebuchadnezzar lays siege, and they sack the city of Jerusalem, and they come in, uh, the Edomites join in, and they start taking this stuff too. And so Obadiah is bringing judgment to them saying, because you've thought this of yourself and because you've partaken of this, this is what's going to happen to you. But then a really interesting thing happens at the very end, the second half of the book in verse 15, he says, and God will come forth and he will establish his kingdom for all nations. And I stopped and I went back and I read the end of Amos. And you know what it says at the end of Amos? And God will establish his kingdom for who said it? For all nations. 
And, you know, if you're seeing anything here and and you want to check me, if you want to go back to Joel and you want to go to the end of it and you want to start reading, what you'll see is the theme where Joel declares, and God will establish his kingdom for all nations. This church is called All Nations, right? I know some people that go to All Nations Church and don't seem to understand the title of the building that they attend. And I think it grieves the heart of God that we have somehow lost sight of this. Jesus came upon this earth to establish his kingdom. In his kingdom, there is salvation afforded to us. He shed his blood for you and I. He hung on a cross. He took the sin of man upon himself, became the accursed man upon the tree, so that we could be saved. And he was resurrected through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. The same power, is what Paul writes, the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal flesh. That power raises him up in his inauguration and instituted the kingdom of heaven. Now we live, and I have said this before, in this tension The kingdom of Jesus Christ has been inaugurated, but it has not completely been materialized in our reality, right? It's like we get these glimpses. Paul says that we look through a glass dimly, right? You ever had that happen? Who wears glasses in here? You ever look through your glasses and you're like, take them off? Like, I can't see nothing out of these. It's like that. God has poured his spirit upon all flesh. Some priest that gets to go into the Holy of Holies once per year and come out and tell you what God says. No, he has poured it upon all flesh for us to partake of this glimpse into the heavenly realm to the eventual fulfillment of that kingdom. And do you know what that looks like? That doesn't look like we're all gone in heaven, and earth is destroyed. It's heaven and it's earth coming together as one. That's what the Bible promises us. That's why when you were just talking about Resurrection Sunday, as we come up upon Easter or Resurrection Sunday, the point of it is to remember his resurrection will be your resurrection, will be the earth's resurrection into that fulfillment of his promise of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And so with that understanding that the earth will be made new, that we will have glorified bodies, I'm working on mine right now, trying to get a head start, but you know what I mean? We will be glorified and we will be in the light and there will be no more darkness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more need for prophecy. There will be no more need for tongues. There will be no more need for healing. But we have need of those things right now. Why? Because we exist in this tension state. Because we stand upon this earth as redeemed creatures. We are pilgrims in an unholy land. I need you to get a hold of this this morning. We are meant to serve one king. Let's get into it. John chapter 4, verse 1. 
Actually, that's, 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 thank you, Lord. Let's start elsewhere. Let's go to Luke 10. We'll come back. We'll come back. Let's go to Luke 10. Thank you, Lord. Luke 10, we're going to jump to verse 25. If you're there, say amen. If you didn't bring your Bible, say, I forgot it, but it's up there, so I'll look up there. And I'm going to be reading out of the ESV this morning. And you, many of you should be familiar with this. Luke 10, verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, this is Jesus in reply to the lawyer, just what the world needs, more lawyers. Just kidding. By the way, a little side note. Does anyone know the name of the shark in the movie Jaws, which happens to be my favorite movie of all time? No? No? It's not Sharky. The shark's name is Bruce. Steven Spielberg named him after his lawyer. So if you fast forward, any of you ever watched Finding Nemo, the great white shark shows up and goes, hello, my name's Bruce. There you go. A little trivia for you and a shot at lawyers. So, you know, two in one. So Jesus replying to this lawyer in verse 26 said, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it, lawyer? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Let's stop right there. And he supposing to justify himself. Do you know what that means? There's two different ways of looking at the word justify. To be justified. Justification. It means that you are made right. Now you, you, all of you, not Scooter, but Bonnie, we're all sinners. All right, Scooter too. Thanks for visiting. I get to pick on you. Yeah. We're all sinners. But we're justified by the blood of Christ. That blood has made us justified so that we are innocent in the eyes of God. And that's what this lawyer is doing, but he's trying to do it himself. And see, that's where we get into trouble because we attempt to justify our own behaviors and actions all of the time. Sometimes we do it publicly, but most of the time we do it privately. Most of the time we do it to ourselves. Most of the time it's our inner voice who's saying, it's okay that you're doing this. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. There's other people who do worse things. Or that person deserved it. They cut you off. They deserved for you to tell them that they were number one. Okay? Some of you got that. Some of it went over your head. You'll get it at lunch. Okay? I broke down once when uh, my kids were young. Candy and I were young in marriage. We had a Jeep Cherokee. It was very nice. The battery, not so nice. You know, it's cold outside. You know what happens when a battery's kind of old and it's cold? It dies. You want to know where it died? It died at the intersection at the light in the left turn lane of uh, 281 and 1604, Kim. On a Friday night. On a Friday night. I've never had so many people tell me I was number one before in my life. I was feeling good. I was really good. There was one person, there was one person that night that stopped and helped me push my car to the side. 
He was my neighbor. I told y'all, y'all have to continue to love me after this sermon today. And so he, trying to justify himself, wanted clarification of what it means for someone to be my neighbor because, see, here's the thing that the lawyer's thinking. Lawyers, they will find every single loophole, right? If I have to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself, but this person doesn't qualify as my neighbor, then I don't have to love them. I can treat them like dirt. I can treat them with contempt. I can spew hatred at them. I can have prejudice against them. I can be racist all I want if that person is not my neighbor. And so Jesus answers. Verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Not my problem. You hear that? Not my problem. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? In verse 37, the lawyer answers, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. In our modern context, people have lost sight of what this story actually means because we use it as a phrase, the good Samaritan, right? We've heard that. We're taught that from when we were young, the good Samaritan. Hang with me. If Jesus was in Jerusalem today sharing this story because he liked to ruffle feathers and prove his point, Jerusalem, this story in our modern context might be called the good Palestinian. Lock the doors. (laughs) See, that audience understood when Jesus was saying it was a Samaritan. You don't get it. Let me explain it. The Samaritans were related to the Jewish people. Okay? But they came from a mixing between Jews and Gentiles during the reign of Rehoboam, Solomon's son. And they lived apart, and they had different beliefs They believed in the first five books, the books of Moses, but they rejected all of the prophets. They rejected all of the rest of what we consider to be the Old Testament. And they had some changes that they made to the Pentateuch. And they worshiped not in Jerusalem, not at the temple, but on a different mountain that they considered to be the high place. See, they had a revision in their religion after being mixed with Gentiles where they thought the Jews, they had gone astray and what God initially intended for those people were to worship here and to be over here and to be like this and to believe like this. And so there was a schism. There was a schism for two reasons. One, because of racism. And two, because of religious uh, prejudice. 
Any of this sound familiar to anybody at all? We live in a world today where we deal with all sorts of prejudice. There's religious prejudice in this country. We have so many denominations in Protestantism, and then every denomination in Protestantism practically has a problem with Catholicism and Eastern Orthodox and Russian Orthodox and all of these divisions. In the, in the, I believe in the Bible. And I don't classify myself with a, with a religious party or a political one. I'm a man without a country. In the church, we will sneer and snide and make fun or jokes or not fellowship with other people because of the church that they attend. We do it in regards to race. We do it in regards to socioeconomic climate. We do it in regards to religion. We do it in regards to country of origin. But look around this room. I, one of the things I've always loved about this church is how colorful our congregation is. But I've been to a lot of churches where it's not like that. And I'm not talking about just like down in Mexico. You kind of expect that, right? It's a bunch of Mexicans. You're in Mexico, right? I've walked into churches where it's nothing but white folk. I've walked into churches where it's nothing but black folk. That's not reflective of the body of Christ. And it's not reflective of what God calls us to do, which is to reach those that don't look like us. We have prejudices against what people look like. You know, I, I have a beard, I'm bald, I wear flannel, and I drive a big pickup truck. Kim, what do you think people think about me? Yeah. You think people prejudge me? You think people assume who I might vote for, you know? But we got to be careful with that, right? What if I had a blue mohawk? Well, I can't grow a mohawk. I have like a reverse mohawk. Right. I have an I am upside down mohawk. But people would judge me. They would look upon me and they would prejudge me based upon those things. And based upon that, they may choose whether or not to talk to me, to fellowship with me. You know? Let me tell you how we do it. We, we don't share the gospel because we assume someone is too far out of reach. Nobody's out of reach. And then we don't share the gospel because we assume, oh, they've probably heard it and attend church. How do you know? Most of the United States today does not attend church on a Sunday morning, has not attended church in the last 12 months, and is not affiliated with any religion whatsoever. That's the reality today. Now, we think we've been sliding that way for a long time. No, it's just now reflecting the reality that it's been for the last 50 years. Post-World War II, most men stopped attending church, and it was just women going. And they would take their children, and then children stopped going. And then most of those ladies back then, they're dead now. We're the remnant that remains. And we have a duty to see everybody as our neighbor. Understanding this schism between what was going on between the Jews and the Samaritans should help you to understand the extent to which Jesus is trying to get the lawyer and the crowd's attention. 
That this means the group of people that you have decided to hate are the group of people that you need to love and they are your neighbor. Now let's turn to John. John chapter four, verse one. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, which were religious zealots that were prejudices against other religious zealots, had heard that Jesus was making a baptizing, making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Yes, that Jacob and that Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaria. John's just cluing you in, okay? Just in case you missed it. Here's a Jew talking to a Palestinian during the war in Gaza going, can you give me some water? And this person's like, are you serious right now? Do you know who I am? Where I come from? How different we are? Your kind hates my kind. My kind kills your kind and your kind kills my kind back. You want water? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would uh, have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everybody, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's offering the Samaritan woman at the well salvation. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, God bless you. Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right in saying you have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. I added the yo. Okay, just so you understand. That part was not in red letters. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. See, here's the difference. Here she is. She's going, okay, I hear God. I hear something coming out of your mouth that I recognize. I feel the spirit, but what do you worship? Do you agree with me? Before we continue, are we on the same page? Because they worship there, but we believe it's, it's worship here. Have you ever seen this? Have you ever begun to, to like share the gospel with someone and they immediately take it and go, well, no, but what do you think about this? That's a trap. It's a trap every time. It's a seed of Satan. It's, it's bound up in a religious spirit and it's there to derail you. Don't fall for it. Because the gospel is not about how someone's living their life at that particular time or whether or not you believe that their lifestyle matches up. Of course it doesn't match up if they're not saved. That's the whole idea. Stop trying to fix the morality of people outside of the church. It's going to be broken because their moral lens is not the same as yours. 
And that's what we're trying to change by the power of the Holy Spirit through salvation and the Holy Spirit working within them. It's what I'm trying to do talking to you this morning. Where were we? Thank you. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Not on a mountain, not with sacrifices, but in spirit and in truth. It's coming, he's telling her. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. (laughs) Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one said, why do you, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into a town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food you don't know of. I just... I love how Jesus talks to his disciples sometimes. It's so, like, boss level, you know? It's just like, hey, you should eat something. He's like, I got food. I got food you have no idea about. You're like, what is he talking about? It's like, hey, if you know, you know, right? <laughs> so great. So the disciples said to one another, has, has someone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food, the thing that sustains me, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. I want you to understand and paint the picture that he is at this well, and he has encountered this woman, and the nearby town is where the disciples went. And as they came back, they saw him with her. And as they're coming up, she's going down. And as they're standing there, they can see the city of the Samaritans where they have just gone to buy food who around the people that they don't like. And Jesus is saying, look, the fields are white for the harvest. He's not talking about something abstract. He's saying to them, you've missed it. You just left those people, those people that you despise. As you wonder what I'm doing here, you have been surrounded. You've missed the forest for the trees because those are the people that I am also trying to reach. Those are the people that I've sent you to. And you didn't deem them worthy. You didn't see that field for harvest. And church, that's what I'm saying to you today. We have to understand that we are surrounded, standing in fertile soil by fields that are white for the harvest, that are ripe and ready and waiting for us to share the truth of the gospel with them. If we will just get over our own issues, our own insecurities, our own prejudices, if we will see every single person as our neighbor instead of someone that can drown in a river with razor wire because they are on the other side of a line, 
Are you hearing me this morning? There are governments within this, this, na- this nation and states and in the world, and there's lines that are drawn, and there are men and there are women who are elected or chosen, and some are righteous and most are corrupt, and they're all doing some things, and none of that matters to the kingdom of God. You are a Christian in faith, walking in the way before you are anything else. Before you are Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or you are a tree-hugging whatever. Before you are American or you are Mexican or Canadian or Scottish or Ethiopian or whatever. Because you have the privilege to have been born in this country doesn't mean that someone born in the communist state of China is lesser than or doesn't deserve to hear the gospel. Countries are sending missionaries here. There are African countries raising up missionaries to send to America because we have become a land of warring tribes that talk past one another and join our echo chambers and listen to each other debate things and look for someone to prop up our point and fail to look through what's going on in the world around us through that very thing I said at the beginning, which is the lens of our faith. Do you know what a worldview is? Anyone? A worldview doesn't mean a worldly view. It means it's how you see the world. And everybody's worldview is a little different. It's based upon your beliefs. It's based upon your experiences. It's based upon your education. That's what forms your worldview. Now, those of us in this room... We should have a fairly unified worldview based upon our beliefs and our faith in Jesus Christ. If you have been reading this Bible and you've been reading it correctly and you've been understanding it and you've been understanding it correctly, which is not always done, by the way. I heard some guy the other day saying that he could take the King James Bible and and correct the Greek with it. And I was like, man, you've just missed the plot altogether. He's taken religion and he has replaced his faith with it. So not everyone who claims to be a Christian is going to share the same worldview, but I am pleading with you and anybody who watches this that when we are in this world, again, pilgrims in an unholy land, that when we look what's happening in our country, in our city, around us, when we turn on the news and when we hear leaders get up from whatever side of the aisle they claim to be from before they've switched to the other side of the aisle out of political convenience, that you hear and you see these things and you understand them through the worldview of the Bible, the worldview of your faith. You know, we're talking here, and it's a very clear comparison because Jesus is talking about this difference and this prejudice between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so it's really easy to look at things and go, wow, do we really treat all people that are immigrating from here or there or the other place as Jesus would want us to? Or do we 
justify our thoughts about a matter or a response to a matter because someone has told us it's okay. That's a truth you have to wrestle with for yourself. I love the writings of C.S. Lewis. One of the things that he wrote about is that it's really easy to make friends. Do you know that? It's really easy to make friends because here's how it works, Pastor. You're talking to somebody and you have this moment of two, T-O-O, as, as, as an also. It's like, oh, you like that movie too? You read that book too? You go to the gym too? Yeah, you like that movie? You got to go to the gym, brother. <laughs> Shaking his head. You like that movie too? You went to that high school too? You're from that city too? See, it's the things that we have in common that usually bind us together, right? And it doesn't have to be everything in common. Little things in common are the things that bind us together. And so it is a struggle. Socrates once wrote, how do we relate to a God that isn't like us? that is so different from us, that is set apart and is divine, is so much higher than us. And so God, in his wisdom, decided to condescend to our level and to become one of us, to be born like one of us, to live in poverty like many of us, to suffer like all of us, sorry, I don't care what Joel Osteen told you last week. You're, everyone suffers. To be a refuge, like many of us. You ever think about that? Jesus and his family had to be a refugee in Egypt to escape violence that was threatening his life. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ, our Savior who we worship today, the Messiah who has brought salvation to our earth, to our lives. When he was born, he and his family had to flee violence that was promised to him and certain death into a foreign land and to live there as a refugee until that violence was gone. So Tom Petty was wrong. He did have to live like a refugee. Jesus died on the cross and he lived his life and he, he dealt with temptation and all of these things for the T-O-O, for you also, see? Now, he's not all like us. He's all man and he's all God. He was the perfect man and he was sinless and that's why he could die. But he came so that he would understand and that we would understand that he understands. And so it's through the lens of the Word of God that we have to begin to see what God has called us to upon this earth. And I'm, I'm wrapping up. Listen, football's over. Y'all are good, okay? I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts as we just kind of tie all this together. <laughs> the question is, did the disciples understand what Jesus said? They did. That entire village believed in Jesus that day. That entire Samaritan village believed and miracles were wrought. 
And then we turn to Acts 8. Jesus has been crucified and he is resurrected. And the disciples are going about as apostles now and they are spreading the word of God. They are sharing the good news. And in chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. This is after they had been driven out by Saul, which we read the last time I was preaching. And Philip, verse 5, went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what is being said by Philip. Do you know why everyone's suddenly paying attention? Maybe there's some groundwork laid previously. You know, we should go back to John. You just keep your finger right there in Acts, okay? And let's go back to John real quick because I want you to see what's going on here. I want you to see how it works. I want you to see how you're supposed to work. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. <sighs> so Jesus said, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into that labor. Okay, he's saying sometimes the groundwork gets laid ahead of time so that you would come along at the right time in order to reap that harvest. And then, in Acts, Philip goes, and he begins to proclaim the Christ to the Samaritans, and they all together listen. That's an important point. There, is, there are so many times within the Gospels and in the Acts where you see that they come up against some kind of... Um, pressure not to speak, you know, or there's division or there's, there's infighting and there's questions and all these things. No, the groundwork was laid by Jesus himself. So when they come to Samaria with his good news, the crowd with one accord, all together as one, pay attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Verse 7, for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. We are expect a miracle church. Do you know when you should expect miracles? When there is a need for miracles. And do you know who has, who has a need for miracles? Those who are not in here. Do you know who has need for salvation? People that don't go to church. Do you know who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? People that don't believe it. People that may respond with anger. People that live a lifestyle very different from what the Bible models for us. Who's your neighbor? Everyone. Everyone's your neighbor. Everyone deserves love. Everyone deserves mercy, as the lawyer said in the story of the Good Samaritan. Everyone deserves grace. Everyone deserves to hear the gospel. I will leave you with this, and we'll pray. Do you know who Penn Jillette is? Anyone? Penn and Teller? You know Penn and Teller? 
Penn and Teller are magicians, sleight of hand experts. Um, and uh, Penn, he's the big guy. Penn is an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. But he has famously said that he is never upset when someone comes to share the gospel with him. Because if you really believe what's in here, to not tell someone is evil. If you really believe the promise of salvation, to not tell someone who is lost and sitting in darkness is like watching someone drown while you hold a lifesaver and refuse to throw it out to them. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for life and breath. We thank you for the calling that you have given for each and every one of us. You called out to us. You beckoned us come to you. And now you send us out to take that message to the highways and to the byways, to take the power of your Holy Spirit to those who are in need, who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. You send us out to bring light to them. I pray that you would work on our hearts and our minds to tune out what the world may say and to focus on the truth of your word so that we will see everybody truly as our neighbor. So we will walk in love, mercy, and grace to bring your truth to everyone who needs to hear it so that we may see your miracles performed and salvation come. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. If you've been watching us online, I pray that you are blessed by this message. I pray that you are challenged by this message. I, uh, I hope that you will hear more uh, messages. So uh, like and subscribe and do all of those things. And if you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website, expectmiraclechurch.org, where you can do so. God bless.